This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We turn to the Word of God this morning and we continue our series in the book of Acts. We have reached the end of chapter 2, very famous verses that we will read and think about this morning. And I do indeed pray that they will be a blessing and a challenge to us, certainly as we enter into this new year where we are all very hopeful that things will soon return to normal. We look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, and this is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. And we thank God today for his word. I was ordained and installed to the ministry in this church on the 12th of September 2008. I can't remember much about that night or the service. There were two sermons. We sang God's praise. There were many speeches made after it. We drank tea. We drank coffee. We had buns and sandwiches. There were tears that were shed from old friends as they made their way back to Larne and East Belfast. It was an emotional, moving and special night. And then I went home climbed into my bed and woke up the next day, Saturday the 13th of September, and in all the hullabaloo, in all the moving house, in all the razzmatazz of that week where you're going to a new church to change the world, it dawned on me that I actually hadn't prepared for the day that was to come. I had two sermons in front of me on the 14th of September, and I hadn't given much thought or made much preparation for either one of them. Now I'm glad to say that I got there. And I learned my lesson and I realized that I needed to be much more organized and much more prepared and to get my sermons started at least on a Monday and to work towards the Sabbath day. But what did I preach back then? It's not a test. You probably can't remember and I would need to check my records to be sure. But I do remember in those first few Lord's Days, those first few Sundays, that I was drawn to this passage. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 onwards. Because it gives us a little glimpse of what life was like in the local church in Jerusalem in the days after the Lord's ascension. It is a wonderful passage, one that perhaps we know off by heart and one which means so much to so many because it is a passage of simplicity and beauty and it always encourages and always challenges us to what our churches look like. 
See, we are in between COVID-19 and getting back to normal. And I suspect all of us, when normal comes, we hope for better days for us, for our families, for our towns and cities and land and even our churches. And when normal comes, perhaps we look at Acts chapter 2 onwards and we think, well, that's what we want our new normal to be like. But then reality hits us. We have all these big buildings around us and they need to be used and they need to be filled. We've got a multitude of organizations and they require care and attention and volunteers and time and thought and vision. We have endless meetings where we have to discuss the the color of carpet in the meeting house or, or whether we will get new lines painted in the car park. The reality hits and church is incredibly busy, incredibly time consuming and certainly nothing at times like what we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 onwards. My brothers and sisters, I preached this sermon this morning and simply want to say that it doesn't have to be this way. I simply want to say that when normal comes, we don't need to sleepwalk back into the old routines. When normal returns and when the pandemic lifts and we no longer have to worry about masks or cleaning our hands every five minutes, we don't have to just continue doing all the things that we used to do. We can actually look like this fellowship in Acts chapter 2. Now this morning, I'm not a man who looks back and says, oh, we have to be like the New Testament church. You hear that sometimes. As if the New Testament church was was a perfect place where no one sinned and there was no error and no division and no difficulties. That is simply not the case. The New Testament church that often we have looked back to with rose-colored spectacles had its difficulties just as we do. So I am not longing for a golden age of the church. There has never been a golden age of the church. I just firmly believe that this passage, the very words of God, show us another way for what our fellowships can be like. In verse 42, we read that these men and women of faith were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. As we read on into these verses, we read that they were together and they shared their possessions as any had any need. They attended the temple day by day. They ate together in their homes. They were glad and thankful for the food that they had received. And they praised God and he added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It is a wonderful picture of what the local church can be like. And I offer it to you this morning as a vision for the normal that we will enter into when all of this comes to a close. Now I know things can't just be wonderfully magical as we click our fingers. I know a church like our one that that is almost 250 years old has a lot of baggage and a lot of history and a lot of tradition and a lot of ways that we do things that would be a real struggle to give up. But I preach this to you to show you that the Lord is not silent on what the business of our church should be like on an ordinary day. And what I want to say to you this morning in this particular verse in verse 42 is here we see the ordinary means of grace. What was this church like back then, all those years ago? I would argue it was a church devoted to the ordinary means of grace. Now, what are the ordinary means of grace? Our shorter catechism tells us. Question 88 asks, 
What are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? And the answer given is the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word sacraments and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Do you hear the Westminster Divine speaking? We are a Presbyterian church, a Reformed church. And what is it we confess as a Reformed church? That in the ordinary means of grace, that is where Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. In the word read and preached, in the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, in praying together, these are the places that are made effectual to us for salvation. My brothers and sisters, there is another way for church life, and it is outlined here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and the other way suggests to us that we can be a church that is devoted to the ordinary means of grace. Why are these things so important? Well, again, our catechism puts it this way. In question 89, we read that the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. My brothers and sisters, I put it to you this morning that we see in this question and answer in the shorter catechism the purpose of the local church. It is the place where the Lord is to be worshipped and adored. But as we come to this place, the Holy Spirit is at work And he makes the reading and the preaching of God's word. He makes the sacraments and the prayers of the saints the means by which God builds us up in holiness and comforts us through faith unto salvation. What takes place here on a weekly basis? What happens when the church of Christ gathers together in their local setting? What happens is ordinary but incredibly significant. We gather to attend to the means that God has given us to build us up in the faith and to convert sinners onto Christ. It is the word. It is the fellowship. It is the sacraments. It is the prayers of the saints. The church of Jesus Christ in normal times should be a church that is devoted to the ordinary means of grace. And so I ask you, does that describe our church? Wherever your church lays its head, wherever you go to worship, Is this what your church is like? These men and women were part of an ordinary means of grace, fellowship. And it wasn't that this was a new thing. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the church here suddenly became radically different from their forefathers. We've made it clear that the church did not begin on the day of Pentecost. That Adam and Eve were the first members of the church of Jesus Christ. That the church of Jesus Christ is an ancient body. And so what these men and women are doing is not extraordinary. It's not different. The church in the Old Testament did exactly the same thing. They were committed to the ordinary means of grace. Again, our Westminster Confession tells us that in those days, the gospel that was still preached and still proclaimed, well, it was administered slightly differently. The covenant of grace was administered slightly differently. There were promises, there were prophecies, there were sacrifices, there was circumcision, there was the Passover meal, and there were other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews. 
And so the Jews, the men and women of faith, would gather and they would hear the word read. They would gather and they would attend to their sacraments, the Passover meal and circumcision for little boys. They would listen to the word of the prophets. They would trust in the promises of God. All of this, says our confession, signified Christ to come. And all of this was made sufficient and effective through them by the Holy Spirit to build them up in the faith and to help them to trust Christ. See, there's nothing new here in the ordinary means of grace. The church of Jesus Christ from the very, very beginning to this very day is supposed to attend to the ordinary means. My brothers and sisters, when we return, it is my sincere hope that we return differently from the way we left. I do hope and pray that we will return with a hunger for these things. These men and women were ministered to by the apostles. There are no apostles anymore in the church of Jesus Christ. And you may have to come to a church like this and put up with an old boy like me, standing every week preaching and teaching and trying his best. But when we come, regardless of the personality in the pulpit, regardless of whether you think or say that that was a good sermon or I don't get much out of that, well, when we come to places like this, we are to be devoted to the teaching of the prophets and the apostles. We are to be devoted to the word of God read and preached. We are to be devoted to what is said in this book from Genesis to Revelation. See, if we are people with an attitude that says, just give me a little bit of the word, don't give me too much more of the word, then we are falling into a desperate trap. Again, the church in the Old Testament knew what that was like. In 2 Kings in chapter 22, the book of the law has been lost. The temple doors have been shut and suddenly it is found again. It is brought to King Josiah. It is read in his hearing and he rends his garments. He hears what had been silent for years. And suddenly he puts in place reforms based upon the word of God. My brothers and sisters, it is easy and it always has been for the church of Jesus Christ to relegate the word to second place. I remember years ago being asked to go and, and speak uh, at a youth service in a place that will remain nameless. And I got there and I sat and I sat and I sat and the whole thing lasted for almost two hours long. There was this interview and that video and this thing happening and the other thing happening. And eventually the guy that got me to speak came over and said, Scott, any chance you could do about five minutes? We've run out of time. Now, I don't pretend to be the best preacher ever. And I'm not arrogant enough to believe that, that it's all about me. I promise you that that is not the case. But when the word of God is read and, and preached and relegated to just five minutes, so we can fit in all of these other more entertaining bits and pieces, then we have gone significantly wrong. The word of God is to be read and preached freely and openly. The word of God is to be proclaimed without fear or favor. The word of God is something that we are to be devoted to because it is the word of God. It's not a startling insight. Isn't that amazing I was sitting at home all week and I came up with that wonderful gem of truth? Of course it's not amazing. But how often do we forget it? That the word of God has proceeded from the mouth of Almighty God himself. Now if that is true, 
And I hope every single one of us believes it to be true. If that is true, then why are we not devoted to the Word of God? Why do we want just a little bit and and not too much? Why do churches often argue and fight over the length of sermons? Why do people at the door of fellowships all around this land give their ministers and pastors a hard time because, well, it's 10 past 12 and you're 10 minutes late? Why do we do that? Why do we have that hard-hearted attitude when we have come to a place where we have done ordinary things, but the Word of God, the extraordinary Word of God, has been read and preached in our ears? My brothers and sisters, when normality returns, may we return with a hunger and thirst for God's word. These men and women, in these early days after the ascension, were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. See, church is an incredibly dangerous place. See, when we come here on a weekly basis, And when we gather and called out of the world to worship, I know at times we don't look like much. And I know at times I don't sound like much. And I know at times we leave here maybe cross about something or fed up about something else. But see, when we come here, and this is the tragedy of COVID and and the fact that we cannot meet. Because see, when we come here, the church gathered out of the world, we come before Almighty God, he speaks to us. He listens to us as we pray. He receives our imperfect praise. The gospel goes forward and the spirit works and he converts sinners to himself. What a significant, radically different and dangerous place this is because we come into the presence of Almighty God and He speaks and He reminds us that we are not where we should be. He breaks our hard hearts. He reforms us. He shapes us. He comforts us. He heals us. The Word of God preached is a blessing to the people of God. My friends, may hunger for that Word be given to us. See, these men and women were devoted to it, but also to the fellowship. They came and they loved one another. They they knew the significance of what it was to be part of the family of God, part of the, the church of Jesus Christ, where they belonged to one another. I think one of the tragedies of this day and age is that we have discovered our own sense of wonderful, glorious independence. We live and worship in splendid isolation. If I come to church on Sunday, it's about me. And if I don't bother going to church on Sunday, that's okay because it doesn't impact anyone because it's about me. We have a me-centered focus, but actually Christ died for the church. Christ died for his bride. Christ died for us. And if that is true, and again, we believe it is, then when we take our place in this place, Sunday after Sunday, we are part of the family of God. We are necessary in this place. We are necessary in the fellowship. We are to draw alongside one another. We are to lift one another up. We are to carry one another's burdens. We are to love one another. We are to challenge one another. We are to cry with one another and rejoice with one another. But that is not possible if we are absent from this place. These men and women were committed to the fellowship. They even 
uh, had all things in common, verse 44. They sold their possessions and distributed the proceeds to any who had any need. They ate together in their homes and they rejoiced together, that word, together. And these verses are, are not a call to communism. They're not a call to sell your house and your possessions and we'll all go buy a field somewhere and build a big barn and, and live in bunk beds. That's not it. But at the heart of this fellowship was men and women loving the Lord who put their needs second to the needs of the fellowship. They were committed to one another. No more of this coming to church once in a blue moon because after all, it's, it's unnecessary. No more of this having your name on a, a list and say, oh, I, I belong to such and such a church and yet you never darken the door. No. If you are a believer, if you are committed to a local church, then you take your place in the fellowship. You're devoted to the word and the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. And you're committed to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need them. And they certainly need you. And when these men and women came together, they broke bread. And I know when we think of that, we immediately think of the Lord's Supper. And of course, that's certainly here. But also in this is simply that they ate together. They broke bread together. They sat down and they enjoyed meals together. You see, there is something about sitting down and having a meal together. There's something about eating together and drinking together and, and talking around at me, lighting a candle in the middle of the table and having a bit of fellowship and a bit of crack and a bit of fun and banter. And I know we haven't done this particularly well in our own fellowship, but as we think about normal and as we think about a return, perhaps we need to spend more time with one another instead of running about, taking the kids here, there and everywhere. Instead of being out every night of the week, busy, 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 maybe we need to clear the agenda, clear the diary and say, do you know what? On Thursday night, I'm going to have people around from the church and we're going to sit and we're going to eat and we're going to talk. That's what this fellowship was like. This extraordinary, ordinary means of grace fellowship. They were committed to the word and they were committed to one another and they ate together and of course, they came and they enjoyed the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. Of course, they came and they attended to the sacraments. And, and again, I, I want us to be a place where that happens more and more. It shouldn't be a surprise to any of you, but, but I long for the day that we as a church come to the Lord's Supper every single week. Every time the Word of God is read, we should be coming to the Lord's Supper. It is the Word made visible, and it is given to us by God to strengthen us in the faith as we remember the body and the blood of Christ Jesus given for us. And so when we return, may we eat together on a regular basis, but also may we come to the table and eat the meal that strengthens us and assures us and equips us to go into this world. See, none of this, I don't think, is very radical. But I do think all of this has became, become more and more difficult because, after all, life is lived at 110 miles an hour. But once more, brothers and sisters, I ask you to realize that it doesn't have to be this way. See, they met together, ate together, read together, prayed together, studied together. They attended to the ordinary means of grace. And 
the message of the apostles was authenticated by signs and wonders. And, and these men and women, verse 43, had awe a coming upon every soul. They, they were men and women that, that worshipped in reverence and awe and lived with reverence and awe. There are no longer any apostles in the church and no longer anyone who can do signs and wonders. But imagine if we came to this place Sunday by Sunday fully expecting to meet with the living God. Imagine we came here every single week fully expectant of being challenged and changed by the Holy Spirit as the word is read and preached. Imagine if we came here knowing that we have got a responsibility to our fellow Christians all around this building, the men and women we know and like and the men and women we don't really know and, and the men and women we don't actually like, that we've got a responsibility to one another. Imagine we came to this place every single week and we were coming to a place where it wasn't just going through the motions. It wasn't just going to somewhere that we've come to call oh, just church. But we came to Eden Grove. We came to whatever fellowship you belong to. And we came expecting to meet Jesus. Church has become busy. Church has become seven days a week. Every hour of the day, something going on. But I suspect in that big rush, in that big business of trying to keep up with the other churches, trying to build mega churches, trying to justify the buildings you've got, I suspect in all of that we have lost sight of who we should be. An ordinary means of grace church, committed to the Lord and his word and his teaching and his sacraments and his people, and coming regularly to worship together with awe upon our hearts. Because we weekly come into the presence of Almighty God and brothers and sisters, He is glorious. It amazes me that as these men and women met day by day, praising God, they had favor with those on the outside. And the Lord was the one adding to their number every single day those who were being saved. Wouldn't it be joyous? If as we return as a church, if we take seriously a call to be reformed and always reforming, as we look to Acts 2 and verse 42 as the pattern and the model of, of who we are and who we want to be in the days to come, wouldn't it be joyous that when normal returns and when we return to the things that we should be involved in and the things that we should be doing, wouldn't it be joyous that if in the years to come, we saw a harvest of souls coming to know Christ. Wouldn't it be joyous if in Balna Hinch we saw days where many were coming to know Jesus? Probably there's a wee bit of us that hears that. And a wee bit of us that thinks, I'll never see it. But why not? Why not? I ask you, has the Lord changed? I ask you, has his word ever failed? I ask you, has the gospel lost any of its majesty and power? Of course it hasn't. But my friends, if we relegate the Lord far down the list of priorities in the local church, and if we give more attention to things which do not matter 
than we do to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, or to the prayers, then why does it surprise us when we are weak? Why does it surprise us when our fellowships fight and argue and split and divide? Why does it surprise us that we never really see anyone coming to know Christ? There is another way. It doesn't have to be the way it was before. There is another way. And I believe the Lord outlines that for us here in this passage. Brothers and sisters, today I offer you this as another path. Today I ask you to pray on these things and to consider these things and and to dream big dreams and to envision what can Eden Grove be like when we return. I speak again this passage. I speak again the word of God and I ask you to imagine an Eden Grove that is utterly devoted to God's word. I ask you to consider an Eden Grove where we meet on a Sunday and we worship the Lord and we demand to be taught by his word read and his word preached. I ask you to imagine an Eden Grove where we join together on a weekly basis in homes and in uh, parts of this church building and all over the place meeting in smaller groups to study the word of God. I ask you to consider a church that is marked by devotion to the teaching that we find in the Word of God. I ask you to consider and to imagine us being a church where we put each other's needs first and we are committed to the fellowship. I ask you to consider a church where we eat together on a regular basis, where we swap stories around dinner tables all across this district, where we take time even during the week coming here to meet and eating and drinking together and rejoicing as we break bread together. And I ask you to consider a church where on a weekly basis we break bread at the Lord's table. We come to be strengthened at the Lord's table. And I ask you to imagine and to consider a church that puts prayer as a priority in the life and the witness of this place. This is not our work. This is the Lord's work. This is not our church. This is the Lord's church. And apart from him, we can do nothing. And so I ask you to imagine a place where prayer is a priority, not relegated, not going to wee rooms in here where there's barely a handful, not something that only the super spiritual do, but prayer at the top of our list as a priority for our fellowship because without it, this is a social club. This is a, a Mickey Mouse organization. This may as well be the Masons or the Order of the Buffaloes or the Orange Order or some other secular organization. But this is the church. This is the Bride of Christ. And without Jesus and without the Lord at work, then we may as well close the doors. Remember what we were like. Remember all the things we did. Remember how we did them and ask yourself, what does God say? What is his vision for our fellowship? What is his vision for all of the churches here in Baal Hinch? What does God say on that? And so, brothers and sisters, read these verses, consider them, pray over them, and ask yourself, what will normal be like when that day comes? Finally, I challenge those of you outside the church to consider your normal. 
You see, many of you have listened to this sermon and perhaps wondered why the big deal, what's it all about? Church is a place where you have your weddings or you get your children done, christened. Church is where you go for the odd funeral. But that's it. It's a public service provider, that's it. They, they, somewhere for our kids to go on a Friday night. Somewhere for our kids to go to BB or GB. But that's it. My friends, today... I've already expressed my desire to see days of harvest in this town. Days of salvation in this town. And I do mean that. And I hope and pray that it starts with you. You see, normal for you is a life without Christ. Normal for you in the days before COVID and even in these days is a life where you have been an enemy of Christ. But there is a new normal in front of you. For anyone who repents of their sins and puts their faith in Jesus will be saved. Anyone who trusts him as their saviour will have their sins blotted out. And so today if you would receive him, today if you would believe in his name, then you will be saved and you will be added to the number of saints, of believers, of Christians in this town. My friends, do not sleepwalk to a lost eternity. But instead, hear the word of God that says you must be born again. The church of Jesus Christ was not born at Pentecost. It was not going through a golden age in Acts chapter 2. But it was a church devoted to the ordinary means of grace. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Amen.